0: It takes sometimes uh, an external shock to, to to cause a really major recession. Um, if there's if no such external shock comes, the Fed can slow down the economy to the uh, to the level that that people would call uh, kind of a soft landing. The problem is, it's very hard to engineer a soft landing. You, you can you can pre- bring the plane the plane down, and then something happens in the very last bit right before you hit the runway, and all of a sudden it's not so soft
1: anymore. Welcome to The Ripple Effect, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the minds of Wharton faculty. I'm your host, Dan Loney, and in each episode, we'll be diving deep into the inspiration behind the groundbreaking research that Wharton professors have conducted and exploring how their findings resonate with the world today. So get ready to dive into new ideas with The Ripple Effect. Recent research from Deutsche Bank, based on an astounding 323 years of economic data, signals potential trouble for the global economy. Their in-depth analysis indicates that the U.S. might be on the brink of its next recession. With centuries of patterns at play, how does this historical context reflect on our current economic trajectory? Well, the question of recession is one that's been in our vocabulary quite a bit in recent months, but whether or not we see it occur is still a big question. Will it be short and somewhat painless, or will it have a little bit more teeth to it? Nick Rusinoff is a professor of finance here at the Wharton School and joins us to look at the concept of recession, what we've seen historically, and what we could be seeing down the road. Hey, Nick, great to talk to you again. Thanks for your time. Hi, Dan. Thanks uh, for having me. Always a pleasure. Always enjoy talking to you. Thank you. So the idea of recession, obviously right now, there's speculation that is out there, but it seems like it feels... Like it's a little bit of a moving target right now. That we don't really have, you know, all the data that would say yes or all the data that would say no at this point. Absolutely. And if you look at some of the key
0: indicators of a recession, like the unemployment rate, it's still near historic lows. It has only ticked up a tiny bit, but it's still under four percent. So basically, the levels that we saw pre-pandemic. So talking about recession when the labor market is kind of hot, the unemployment low, uh, labor force participation rising, still not quite uh, at pre-pandemic uh, level, but nearly. Um, it seems seems strange on the one hand. On the other hand, of course, there is all this talk of a recession. Why? Well, because the Fed is raising rates. And there is kind of an old adage that says that recessions... Uh, 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 it, you know, don't uh, don't replace uh, um, expansions by themselves. Expansions don't die of old age. The Fed kills them, and this is kind of what I think everybody is anticipating. As with the increase in inflation that we saw, the the big wave of inflation, the Fed trying to fight it, raising rates, and that's what kills the expansion and brings uh, brings the recession about. So far, we have not seen it. The signs of uh, an economic slowdown are really really tiny compared to the kind of the signs of a kind of a healthy economy uh chugging along of course the markets get jitters every time that they think that fed is going to tighten more than has been previously expected and yes there may be some uh some pockets of weakness here and there um talks of uh of of a commercial real estate collapse are quite uh quite active but so far the key Uh, indicators of a recessionary environment that have to do at least with the labor market are not
1: there historically when you think about recession in air quotes uh there's usually some sort of shock that that really kind of sets up the concept or the actual recession from occurring when you look back at history correct Uh, yes again Yes and no, based on what I just said about
0: the the Fed's role, the Fed can slow an economy down, and then typically uh, something comes along that sort of breaks uh, with that uh, Fed tightening. So in two thousand seven, that was the housing market that that really kind of broke, the, and then the financial system, um, way kind of went down uh, with it and really accelerated uh, accelerated the collapse. Uh, and of course, with the, uh, with the recent, the most recent recession, uh, the Fed started tightening, but there were really no signs of a meaningful recession until all of a sudden the pandemic hit, and that, of course, had nothing to do with the Fed or the financial markets or anything that the U.S. consumers could have done. Um, so, yeah, sometimes uh, an external shock to, to to cause a really major recession. Um, if there's if no such external shock comes the Fed can slow down the economy to the uh to the level that that people would call uh kind of a soft landing the problem is it's very hard to engineer a soft landing you you can you can bring the the plane down and then something happens in the very last bit right before you hit the runway and all of a sudden it's not so soft anymore I think that's kind of what what happened uh in in 2008 and of course you know you can't blame the Fed for 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 2020 but in 2008 and 2001, sort of a soft landing yeah it was a recession, but it was a fairly short, fairly painless you could say recession after um, after the the, um, the collapse of the, the, the dot-com bubble. Of course, there was another external shock there, 9/11. but really that was uh, that was kind of a regular recession.
1: So how important is it when, when these events occur and, and you're looking at all of the dynamics at play, it, how important is it to look at each one of them individually? And not, or is it important to kind of look at all of them as a group to kind of understand what was in play? And maybe there are things that correlate between different recessions. Absolutely. So uh,
0: financial economists in particular like to look at the shape of the yield curve. And we see that when the short-term treasury yields are above long-term yields, that generally is not a good sign going forward for the economy. And in fact, that is probably one indicator that has consistently predicted a recession in the in the next uh, you know year to two years. It's not a particularly precise indicator, and that's because the long term um, treasury yields, long term rates, uh, they incorporate investors' expectations about the future, what's going to happen to the economy, not just in the next year or two, but in the in the next decade or two decades. Um, and so, one one reason the the long term long term yields might be lower than the short term yields today is that investors expect both lower inflation and lower growth than we've had in the in the recent uh, kind of post pandemic uh, couple of years. Um, but another reason that's often brought up is that while well, investors expect the Fed start cutting rates once and once a recession actually um, is, is on the horizon or actually is with us. Uh, and but that's of course a little bit self-referential, right? Because if we said that long rates are lower than short rates because investors expect the Fed to cut in response to a to a recession, that suggests that that they know that the recession is coming. So it's not like a very useful indicator uh, <laughs> if it relies on people expecting expecting a recession. Nevertheless, it has been true for the last several decades. That whenever the yield curve, quote unquote, inverts again with short rates higher than long rates, soon something happens, maybe because the Fed over or something else that uh, that makes a recession kind of transpire.
1: But we've been in that kind of a cycle now for several months where the short-term bonds are have are been riding a, quite a bit higher with yields than the longer-term bonds. And I think, is that the main driver as to why people are c- continuing to say, okay, this has got to be coming, this is going to be around the corner? I think that is an important uh, driver, maybe not the only driver, but
0: certainly the fact that the Fed has tightened and might continue tightening, even though they might uh, pause for a little bit. Right now, the consensus is that they will not tighten at the next meeting, but but it's still you know not off the table that there will be another another hike if inflation uh, kind of rear its head again. In fact, as we saw, the latest uh, latest latest inflation print yesterday came in higher than expected, a little bit higher, not a lot. A lot of it was oil, true. Um, some of it was shelter, which which is in core, which is what the Fed watches. So. It's possible that the inflation has not been conquered yet. Uh, and if that's the case, Fed might tighten again. And that'll that'll uh, invert the curve even further, kind of steepen the, the inversion, which means people will, will, I think, will say, well, now they're about to break it. But as you said, we've had this talk for, for several months. It can take a year, maybe even a year and a half. In the past, we've seen these inversions uh, predict a recession a year to two years down the road. So it's not uh, kind of a precise science that the second you have an inversion a recession is going to happen. It's an indicator that the Fed is uh, tightening uh, sufficiently that investors don't think the, uh, you know such rates are sustainable for a long time.
1: Are we at a point right now, it seems like that, that November, at least from a lot of the, the conversation out there, will most likely see a rate increase. But the speculation also is that we've pretty much hit the top end or we're very close to the top end on the Fed raising rates at this point. Is that where you think we, we kind of are right now?
0: Um, I think so, unless we really see inflation heat up again out of, not nowhere, but out of uh, the combination of, um, well, oil prices going up as they as they are with the tightening supply constraints um the slowdown in china could further hurt supply chains and the whole supply chain worries might uh, might resurface sort of a cost uh cost channel um so it is possible it it doesn't seem likely to me i i think the likeliest outcome is that you know six percent maybe the the top for for the Fed or, or or thereabouts, and whether that happens in a November meeting or, or or later on, that's probably the the likeliest outcome.
1: But you know, you never know. So you go back to two thousand seven, and obviously, as you said before, there were probably some actionable things that could have been done at that point. That well, could they have prevented what occurred at that period of time if if changes had been made and different policy had been followed? It's hard to tell. Um, there is a lot of debate about what
0: happened in uh, 2007, 2008, let alone what should have been done and, and, and what, what could have been done to prevent it. Because, uh, of course, the housing uh, buildup happened over several years prior to the recession. Uh, we saw a massive expand, uh, expansion of household uh, balance sheets. Uh, mostly because of borrowing via mortgages, cash out refinancing was at uh, well historically high levels. Um, but obviously, lots of fragility was also built into the financial system. Uh, I'm not going to go through a whole sure. whole list of things that we we have debated. We over could a be lot here for decade. an hour talking about exactly, that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, it it's not something that could have been uh, solved. Uh, easily and quickly, and I think you know, Bernanke uh, should be given credit for for trying to to do the best he could. I think uh, to contain uh, contain the crisis. Maybe some of the signs of the of the financial crisis could have been spotted sooner, and some of the fragility in the financial system could have been uh, could have been identified. But it's uh, it, it's always easy to say that kind of in hindsight. So, by the way, speaking of mortgages and and mor- mortgage refinancing and cash out, one of the topics that I uh, you know, love to research. It, the second kind of highest peak of uh, mortgage uh, cash out refinancing happened just uh, you know a few quarters ago. Yeah. Um. And so we'll, we've had you know house prices again at historic uh, highs, and uh, and households are taking advantage of that, even with mortgage rates rising. In fact, you know the only people refinancing mortgages in the last few months, given that the rates have skyrocketed, are people who taking out a lot of cash out of uh, out of their homes. The question is, sort of, what is that going to do to balance sheets of these households when uh, the tightening finally breaks the housing market? And we haven't seen a big uh, pullback on house prices. It's maybe uh, some regional uh, pullbacks, but not at a national level. And what happens then?
1: When, when you're talking about, though, man-made circumstances that are kind of in and around and leading up to a recession, does that tend, when you're looking back at it, to kind of spur... Kind of more of a regulatory kind of viewpoint and and push to to try and prevent what occurred and and try and lay a framework so that we don't ever have to deal with that that scenario again. Absolutely, but uh, I feel like uh, what we see every time is that you know the
0: generals always fight the past war, the regulators they always fight the past crisis, so. You know, we saw a stress test that the Fed used to to test the bank's ability to withstand a crisis. Did not consider possibility of a rate hike. They only considered the possibility of recession and a rate cut. So all this uh, stuff that we saw in the spring with SVB and First Republic, the regional bank crisis, could have been perhaps avoided if uh, you know the, st- the the stress test and the SVB was not subject to a stress test. It was too small. But if if the Kind of regulatory apparatus paid attention to the fact that if uh, rates go up, which they will have to if we see inflation, well, uh, a lot of these banks that have loaded up on long uh, maturity treasuries will be in trouble, as as, as they have been. Um, so I feel like it, 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 there's there, there's there's always kind of a, a past cra- past lesson. To be learned but whenever you learn the past lesson you often forget the lessons that came before that and you kind of have to take a a, a, um, a, a broader view of uh, what kind of things that could happen and they will never be a repeat of what we saw in the past it'll be something different
1: so would it be fair or unfair of me to ask you to get your crystal ball out right now and 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 look at where we are right now with all of these dynamics at play and what you think, we may see play out over the next six to 12 months. Well, I can always speculate. It would be unfair to,
0: <laughs> to go anywhere further than that. Um, but I think uh, the, again, commercial real estate sector, I'm not an expert on, but from what I understand, is, uh, is in a bit of trouble. And when that starts hitting uh, the lender's uh, balance sheet's uh, we might see we might see issues there, and it's going to be potentially on top of what we've seen so far with the um, with this, just this uh, treasury maturity mismatch, uh, liability uh, mismatch with 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 assets. Um, but uh, but there could be other things. Certainly, you know, geopolitical issues don't go away. You know, the war uh, in in Ukraine is is, uh, is going on. And the um, OPEC is restricting oil supply, oil prices are continuing to climb. Um, the U.S. shale is not able to respond like it uh, did in the past, either due to kind of ESG capital tightening, or uh, just the fact that you know labor, the labor market is super tight, so it's hard to get workers. I don't know which one is kind of the dominant, uh, the dominant constraint. But uh, so far, we have not seen expansion in, in oil drilling in the and the shale patch nearly as much as I would have expected, given where where prices are kind of going, or where they went. By the way, at, at the start of the war, they came down quickly. But now we're at the point where the the strategic petroleum reserve is at as as kind of at record low. And at the same time, I mean it's small relative to what what's the amount of oil that, that the U.S. economy needs anyway. But um, we don't see a, uh, kind of a massive increase in, in U.S. drilling, which I would have expected as a kind of response uh, to the oil price uh, uh, arises. So the fact that oil prices are rising may not necessarily spill over into high inflation. So, as Some people think it might, but it's not it's not good for the U.S. economy when it's restricted on the on the supply side, when when it's restricted in its ability to produce more oil I and mean, high oil prices are good for, for Texas when Texas can drill, but when, when it doesn't have the capital to do so, or the workers to do so, it's not good news for anyone.
1: I'll, I'll finish on this because it seems like obviously we go through recessions every X amount of years, uh, and the dynamics in many cases are, are different because of what they've occurred. So from that perspective, the understanding and the learning from each of these different recessions, is just as important as the last, maybe for a little bit of a different reason or a different impact. But it's still, the the, the learning part of it is is exceptionally important. Absolutely. And
0: certainly the fragility of the financial system is now at a lot more at the forefront of monetary policymakers than it was before the financial crisis. And, and rightly so, perhaps. And uh, again, we don't know what exactly is going to break, but it's quite possible that something different will break in financial markets this time uh uh, compared to what happened in the past so certainly we should learn we should learn the lessons from the past uh but we shouldn't kind of forget that there's lots of lessons that we've had historically we should take the the broad uh, view and uh, uh also consider things that perhaps are outside of that historical experience as well
1: nick great to talk to you thanks for your insight thank you nick rusinoff of the wharton school Thank you for listening to The Ripple Effect. We hope you found this episode informative and engaging. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review so that we can continue to bring you the best insight from the Wharton School.